Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. So, um, Jesus just calmed the wind and the waves during a storm over the Sea of Galilee, and then they went to the other side to land to the uh, Gadarenes, and then cast out demons on the other side of the lake. Um, And now we're catching up with them in Mark 2. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So Jesus' fame was beginning to grow, so much so that when he was in a town, people flocked uh, to, him, to him to hear him speak. And the town he's in right now is Capernaum. And um, we're going to look... Uh, so this is what they've excavated of Capernaum today. You can actually go visit this place. It's actually a really fun place to visit um, because the people who are giving us a tour who live there will say the name of it, and then we go, well, isn't it pronounced like this? It's really fun. And we're like, this is, oh, God. Okay, so it's on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, In this verse, um, he's preaching inside a house. Um, They're not sure which house he's in. It doesn't say which house he's in, but many believe that he's inside Peter's house. Uh, it's a known location where Jesus went. We actually, we just saw that he went there and preached and healed people and healed Peter's mother-in-law. Um, and so people believe that this is where he is. So in this, oh, you went ahead. All right, it's okay. Did you show, how many pictures did you show? Go back to the first one. Thank you. No, like the first, first one. How many have you gone through? Did everybody see my pictures already? <laughs> There were like so many surprises involved. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. I'm just kidding. All right. So that large round area, see that large round area there? All right. There's a, that's actually a, a sanctuary or a synagogue built on top of what they believe to be Peter's house. And that's actually what it's like. If you like visit like where Jesus was born, you're like, oh, a cave. This is going to be so quaint. And then there's like so much built over it. It's gaudy. Um, but anyway, people like it. People like it. But um. So that, that round structure is built on top of Peter's house, um, and they, they believe that this is Peter's house because it's a house that became a church, and so it makes sense because they would meet in Peter's house. Peter was the head of uh, the church in that area, so it makes sense that that would be the house they meet in. So when this house became a church over the years, they were like, okay, that must be Peter's house. You can go to the next one. All right, and that, so that's the synagogue. You can see the walls of the house. You can go to the next one. And then I showed, and then that's like kind of, you can see kind of the walls and where they would walk and stuff. It's not as, as great as I thought it was at first. So, okay, um, what, go, you can go back to the um, picture of the main, or the next one. I put it in the right order. So in this time and place in Capernaum, most Israelites, they left their door open. They wouldn't close their door, which was like, and they didn't even have screen doors to keep out the bugs. So, um, but so the doors were open. It was like an open invitation. Anyone could just come in your house if you had your doors open, right? Who would love that? No one's raising their hand. Okay. But so rarely was a front door closed. And if a front door was closed, it was because um, we're having, we want a private moment here, you know? So if you started to get in an argument with your kids or your wife or something was going on, you'd be like, let's close this door real quick. So no one comes inside, you know, because people can be like, oh, hey, what's going on? 
you know? So if the door was open, you could just go in anyone's house. So this wasn't a weird thing for there to be a bunch of people in the house. Uh, because if Jesus was there in the house and the door was open, everyone was going to come in. And it's a small town, so news gets around quickly. Um, so everyone would come into this house to hear him speak. So the house is completely full, spilling out into the streets. Um, and then it says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, so most uh, Jewish houses had an outer and inner stairway to the roof. You could go up to the roof from the inside or the outside. Uh, they would relax on their roofs. Um, so gaining access would have been a fairly easy thing to get up on top of the roof. There was a stairway up there. You can actually show the next picture. This is what the roof would have looked like. That little round thing on top was what they would use to like flatten out this plaster that was on top of the roof, which is that white layer. Um, Right on top, the roof was made of, you can kind of see this, of twigs laid over logs, and there's clay stuffed in between, and that's the plaster that they rolled over it, um, and usually grass would like grow on the top of the plaster. And you can go to the next section, so you can get a view of what it looked like from the inside. This is basically what they were looking up at, um, except with a huge hole in the roof, okay? So the point of this is it's not a huge difficult uh, thing to do to tear apart the roof, nor, nor would the owner be like incredibly irate because it's pretty easy fix. Um, so they lower their friend, who's a paralytic, into the middle of the crowd, and it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven, okay? But instead of focusing on what's happening, let's look at what the teachers of the law notice instead, and the teachers of the law are the Sanhedrin, they're their scribes, whom they sent to watch him. Okay, so it says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, never, we have never seen anything like this. So present at this meeting are a ton of people who want to hear what God has to say. They want to hear the word of the Lord. But there's also some religious leaders who are there to spy on him. Because he gathered so much attention that the Sanhedrin were beginning to take notice. And you might wonder, well, how could they take notice? How do they know which house? I mean, obviously there's a large crowd, but if you do go to the next picture, you can see that, this, that um, the church above Peter's house um, is that big round thing. And then this little square thing with the only thing with walls built up is the synagogue where they would have been. Okay, so it's like not very far away. Okay, so like if you have a church, right, you have a synagogue right there, and you're like, oh, well, no one's here today. Where's everybody at? No one's coming in. You go outside, and they're, they're, they're over there. You're like, well, you know, if you're a pastor who follows after God, you immediately get angry, and you go, I'm just kidding, and you're like, send some spies to go see what's going on. It's a time-honored tradition amongst churches. Um, no, 
<laughs> no, but so obviously they're really close. So they sent, they're like, go over there, see what's going on. Jesus is talking. I want to hear what he says. It, obviously they're like, if you can find something that he says that isn't good, tell us. So we can, we can put it down. And the Sanhedrin that I've been talking about, if you don't know that word, uh, they're the judges in like the highest Jewish courts. Um, it was kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court. They decided Jewish law um, and all questions of the law were put to them. Um, for, and for instance, it was a Sanhedrin's duty to deal with anyone who was a false prophet. So basically, if Jesus is a false prophet, this falls under their jurisdiction, right? They were the only ones who could try someone for being a false prophet, and they were the only ones who could try a king. That's how much power they had, okay? But let's remember this law that they're, they're in charge of interpreting and expanding on is actually the law from the Bible, um, but they've kind of added some things and they change some things and they get real specific, you know, so they'll rep- re- they're going to repeatedly find themselves on the losing side of arguments with Jesus, okay? And one of the most heartbreaking things is that these men, these Sanhedrin or these scribes, their entire lives are wrapped up in the Bible. They've studied the Bible their entire lives. And these are the people that are like, man, I want to go into the ministry. I want to work at the synagogue. I want to know the law. You know, they could be people who like at first were like, I love the law like David. But they spent so much time studying the word. And I'm not saying studying the word is a bad thing. It's a great thing. But they knew the letter of the law, but they couldn't recognize the prophesied Messiah that was spoken of in the Bible when he was right in front of their face knew the word, but couldn't recognize Jesus as the fulfillment of the word. So something is missing there. Like you can have all this knowledge of the Bible, and you should. You should get in the word. You can, you can have all this knowledge about what things mean and what this word actually was and read commentaries, and you can know all these things without actually knowing God. You can, you can, they're, they're, um, there are like all kinds of theology degrees you can get and know the Bible really well without actually knowing God at all. And we can do the same thing. We can sit here in church and we can hear the word, but then go away and leave unchanged. Like a man who looks in there in the mirror and then turns away and forgets immediately who they saw or what they saw. We cannot have open ears and closed hearts. If you want to know... If you want to know the living God, you can read the Bible all day, and you should. But your heart and mind has to be ready to receive it. Has to be ready to receive it. And instead of focusing on the miracle that's transpired, this paralytic gets up and walks out, which might have caused me to be like, well, maybe I need to go back and think about what I thought about this man, because I came in with some preconceived notions that he was an enemy, that he was a false prophet, that we're looking to try him, that he is our enemy. But now all of a sudden, I'm seeing something that cannot be done. Maybe I need to reassess what I first thought about this Jesus. But that's not what they say. That's not what they say in their hearts. What do they say? Error. We found an error. Yes. Yes. How many people are sitting in church or in like, Error. I found an error. It's like what we do now. Everybody is a critic of everything. We are so learned because the internet, right? Like now people go and watch a movie and instead of just sitting back and having fun, they're like, well, that doesn't actually fit with the timeline. 
<laughs> How can he know that? That doesn't make any sense. Back to the Future does not follow proper time travel protocol. We do, we do, we ruin everything because we're all experts on every single thing, right? I can go to a movie and then I can go back and read an article about the 10 things that did not make sense about that movie. And you're like, well, we're talking about a man who controls ants. None of it makes any sense, right? But we do, we like to find error. We're all looking for error. And they're, they're looking for error in Jesus. They weren't seeking truth. They weren't looking for miracles. They weren't looking for the Son of God. They were looking for error. They were looking for error. How many read the Bible only looking for error? There are people who read the Bible only looking for error. There are people who come to church and they're dragged here, but they are only looking to find error. They're not looking for change. They're not looking to discover Jesus. They're not even open-minded about maybe, maybe he is the son of God. What, what does he say? What is he about? They're not looking for peace. They're not looking for joy. Not even looking for God, but looking for error. I found it. Error. Looking for proof for what they've already decided in their hearts. Just looking for proof for what you've already decided in your hearts. And because they've already decided, they're like blinded to the miracle. They're not even happy for this guy. They're immediately caught up in the error. They don't even see what God's done. They're not even moved by what God has done. They know his words, but they cannot see his actions. So, um, they've already decided. So, they're actually correct, though, in their thinking that God is the only one who can forgive sins. We all agree, right? God is the only one who can forgive sins. Um, but God is also the only one who can miraculously make the lame walk, okay? But they're so caught up in their own laws that they miss the healing. And we, we do the same thing today, especially with, with like denominational stuff, okay? We, we get real crazy about denominational stuff, right? There's like ways you're supposed to like baptize, you know, and there's like, well, if people, someone who's gone through this, this whatever has to come and bless the bread, okay? They have to come and have a, a wand and say, bless that bread, right? When, when what we see in the Bible is like Christians, Christians are told to partake and do this together, right? But we've created these things and then people get all irate when they're like, well, you didn't sprinkle him? You didn't sprinkle him with water? You dunked him? That's not right. That's not what our book says. And they're like, well, actually the book in the Bible, I've never seen anyone sprinkled, okay? Not dissing on it, but I'm just saying, when we go crazy about it, we, we go crazy about it. Not me, but people I know, right? <laughs> I've seen like people get all upset about all kinds of crazy stuff. I have friends who are pastors, and they're like, "You would not believe the they'll like they'll like put together a commission to remove the pastor because he removed the plants that have been on the stage for 20 years, when everybody knows those plants have been dead for 19 years, <laughs> right? But there, but but we get all upset about these things that we've made, okay? And and we can stop seeing. We can God can stop moving on our church, and we can stop giving Him room to move because we've set up these things. Like it has to be like this, it has to be like this, and it's not even in the Bible that it has to be like that. It's just things we've created, things that we like, okay? People get all all upset about, and, and it goes on both sides of the spectrum. 
okay, with the things people get upset about, okay? And this is what they're doing, right? And they're, they're accusing him basically of blasphemy for saying he can forgive sins. And, and the, the, the punishment for blasphemy is stoning, but it never gets that far because it says Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking, and he addresses them immediately. Um, right there, after witnessing the miracle, should have been enough for them to pause and think, but, but they don't. And so, and I would like look in the word. You know, when I saw him do that, I'd be like, man, I need to go back and get in the word and see what is prophesied about the Messiah and see if it lines up with this guy because I'm seeing him do something that the Messiah could possibly do. But they don't do that. They don't go back to the word. They just say, this is wrong. And the beauty of this passage is how Jesus defeats them with their own laws and their own way of thinking. Because like I said before, right, they're judges. And the argument Jesus gives is actually based on logic, which is what you can use to establish arguments in a court of law. So they're basically having this little, and if I'm wrong, don't say anything. Um, <laughs> so they're basically, he's basically using a lawyer's argument to disprove them, okay? So it's the Sanhedrin's firm belief that only God can forgive sins, okay? But it's also their firm belief that sin and sickness were linked, indisputably. If you were sick, you had sinned. The sickness was a result of sin, which is kind of funny because by that logic, everyone would be sick all the time, right? They must have felt pretty high and mighty about themselves to think that, that they weren't in sin, right? Because, every, I mean, can you imagine being a Sanhedrin and getting sick at work, right? You'd be like... <laughs> <clears throat> and they'd be like, what's, what's going on over there? Be like, nothing. Be like, did you just steal, steal money? You steal money out of the tithe box? What'd you do? Why are you getting sick? Be like, I don't, I'm not sick at all. <clears throat> right? Rather die than admit you're sick. Right? Um, so we may think this is ridiculous, right? Like sin and sickness. I mean, now we're like, okay, that's a ridiculous concept that people are sick because they've sinned, right? It's ancient. Ancient way of thinking. But if we really think about it, we still kind of believe this. We still kind of believe this. We say to ourselves, we hear this all the time, um, and this is a made-up name and situation, so I'm sorry if it all events and stories told are fictitious. Um, Brian has cancer. What do we say? Brian's a good guy. Brian shouldn't have cancer. Brian shouldn't be sick. Why? Because he's a good guy. And I'm angry at God that he got sick because he's a good guy. So based on behavior and based... We, so that's what we're saying, essentially. Based on behavior, this person is good. They're not a sinner, per se. They should not be sick. And we're mad at God when anything else happens. That's the inverse of their logic. They said, you're sick because you're bad. And we say, that's ridiculous, but in our hearts, we still believe they're good. They shouldn't be sick. Am I correct? It's the same type of thinking. And when we get sick or someone close to us gets sick, we think, what have I done to deserve this? God, when we're on our knees, we're like, God, I've been good. God, I'm, I'm chasing after you. God, I'm trying to do this. Why has this happened? 
as if we believe that sin and sickness, that, that sickness comes as a result of sin. So this thought, even though a little bit different, is still around. So Jesus, because they believe this, Jesus says, okay, you say they have no right to forgive sins. I cannot forgive sins. But you hold as a matter of belief that if this man is ill, it's because he's a sinner. And he cannot be cured unless his sin is forgiven. Okay? This is one of those amazing parts that Jesus is using logic. Has anyone ever taken a logic course? College logic changed my life because it was a class. I always skip classes. And um, my college professor was a small enough class that he came to me and said, if you miss another class, I'm going to fail you. And my attendant shot up. <laughs> and all my classes really changed my life just by like, you know, coming and telling me that. So got to see, but I was there. All right. It's because my ears were hearing, but my heart just wouldn't accept. I wasn't ready for it. So in logic, since... A lot of people haven't ever taken it. Okay, so you're trying to prove something true by using if-then statements. If this is true, then this is true. It's almost like math with words. Does that sound fun? <laughs> it's like math with words. Yeah, and engineers, oh, oh, today is my day in church. And it is. All right, so let's go to that first math problem. All right, so if A then B, right? And if B, then C, if both these are statements of fact, then if A, then C works. Correct? Everybody got it? Okay, next one, I think. Yeah, okay, that's what I just said. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, okay? Now, solve for C. I'm just kidding, you have no numbers. <laughs> All right, all right, so go to the next one. This is just going to boil it down, because every time, every time I've done this, there's still people, everyone's nodding their head, and afterwards, people are like, I didn't know what you were saying. So here's a sentence, and this actually, this is a sentence I've heard from some of my friends in North Carolina. If, if dad goes hunting, because they're like, I'm like, why are you bummed your dad's going hunting? Well, let me tell you why. If dad goes hunting, he will kill a deer. If he kills a deer, we will be eating that deer nonstop in every form that you could possibly have it. Deer tacos, deer burgers, deer everything, right? So instead of taking those two statements, you can say, if dad goes hunting, we will eat deer nonstop for weeks, right? Or months, I don't know, I've never killed one, okay? And I'm sure it depends on the science, right? So everyone gets that, okay. So, so Jesus says, let me go to the next one. If he declares it, if I declare it and this person is healed, and if they're healed, that means their sins are forgiven. You've established that if they're healed, their sins must be forgiven for them to be healed. And if I just said it, and they were healed, it must be true that if I say it, their sins are forgiven. Got it? Yeah? So he's using this logic argument on their own beliefs to prove that they're wrong. He's basically saying, you're saying... I cannot forgive this man's sins, but he cannot be healed unless his sins are forgiven. So what's easier for me to say? I counted the words. One has less words. <laughs> He's awesome. Jesus is awesome. He's like, so what's easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? 
and they're just like, ah, oh, Jesus is so awesome. He says, oh, you're saying I can't, can't forgive his sins. Okay, watch this. Watch what I'm about to do. And their worlds are rocked, but not rocked in a way of like, whoa, man, that might just be the Messiah. Their worlds are rocked in a way of like, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. I need a better argument. We need to go put to get together a better argument. They're caught in their own game. On their own stated beliefs, the man could not be cured unless he was forgiven. He was cured, therefore he was forgiven. So Jesus claims to have forgiven his sins must have been true. He baffled these legal experts who are not used to being challenged, okay, nor defeated by wit. But this interaction will set them against him and will sign his death warrant, which is all part of the plan anyway, because they're never going to win against the plans of God. But more importantly, by saying his sins were forgiven, rather than saying, get up and walk, Jesus reveals what he came to do. Because up to this point, we've seen him heal people. We've seen him cast out demons. He's teaching people, right? But from this moment forth, we're going to see things, we're going to see questions from them and arguments based on sin and whether or not Jesus can forgive sin. This is the moment it all changes where he reveals, I've been healing people, I've been casting out demons, but what I came to do and what I've been doing is forgiving sin. That is what I'm here to do. And we'll see it in the next interactions. It's chiefly about forgiving sin. This is where they start being like, why are you hanging out with sinners? Because that's what I came to do. That's why I'm here. I came to forgive, to repair the divide between man and God. That's why I'm here. That's the real reason I'm here. And who knew that this revelation would come about because these friends were simply trying to bring their friend into the presence of Jesus. These men who were willing to do whatever it took to bring their friend into the presence of Jesus. These four friends who have one heart and one mind concerning this one friend just said, we, we need to get him to Jesus. Can you, do you ever imagine what the conversation went like? Well, they went and saw Jesus and they were like, let's go get him. Let's go get him and let's bring him. But, like, and they're going to miss, they're going to miss what Jesus says. Maybe they'll miss a miracle. Maybe they're going to miss Jesus casting out a demon. Maybe they're going to miss him saying something really important, but they thought, no, I know someone else who needs to hear this. I know someone else who needs to be touched by, by this. Let's go. Let's go get him. Let, let's, let's get this going. Let's get, and, and, and what was the friend like? Do you ever wonder what the friend was like? Was he like, let's go, I believe. Let's do it. I'll help however I can. Or do you think he was like, just go. It's fine. You're probably missing something super important for me. I don't want, oh, I'm so heavy, guys. I don't want you to hurt your back. You've got a bad back. What was he like? Was he kind of mopey? How, how long had he been paralyzed? Since birth? Was it, because an, was it because of an accident? Surely he believes, guys, he believes, because of the belief system, he believes that he has this paralysis because of his sin. It's not just that he's paralyzed. It's not just that he's sick. He believes that it, he has been punished by God for who he is. Do you wonder how many times 
He tried to think what it was. Do you wonder how many sacrifices he made or his family made for him to try to get this sickness, to try to get this sin forgiven so that he could possibly be cured? What was his mind like? Where, what was his hope like? But these friends, united in their faith, bring him into the presence of Jesus, and something happens that they did expect. Something happens they expected. He was healed. But then something happens they did not expect. He forgave his sins. And as Christians, this is our life's work, right? To bring the downtrodden and the broken into the presence of Jesus, that he, by his power, not us, will bring about the healing that they need, right? Physical healing, spiritual healing, right? And sometimes we carry each other. How many of us who have known other, other believers even who need to be brought into the presence of Jesus because of some hurt or betrayal? And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes it's like dead weight, right? Dead weight. There's like barriers in between. There's barriers of the mind for the Sanhedrin, but there's physical barriers between them getting their friend to Jesus. And they have to do some physical work. And there's constantly problems that they have to solve to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. And their friend is paralyzed. He is dead weight. He is dead weight. How many of you have ever felt like you've been just trying to bring somebody into the presence of Jesus and they are dead weight? They don't even want to come. And you're just like, lowering by ropes. Just like, I just know that if I get you into the presence of Jesus, things will change. I know Jesus can change your life. If I can just get you into the presence of Jesus. And much is, much is talked about, about these guys, these people who went through this to bring their friend down. But sometimes, and that's our job, we are to be those guys. But sometimes we are the person on the mat. Sometimes we're the person on the mat who will not allow ourselves to be carried into the presence of Jesus. Because unlike paralysis, our problems we can keep to ourselves. We cannot tell. We can handle it by ourselves. I've got it. Sometimes it's pride, shame, guilt, but we keep it to ourselves. And people don't even know that we need to be carried because we are down on our hope, because we're a little bit depressed, because we're dealing with the loss of a loved one, because we're struggling. As Christians, we will all spend some time carrying, and we will all spend some time on the mat. But whether or not we have people who will be there and carry us into the presence of Jesus is up to us. Whether or not we will allow ourselves to be carried because many of us resist. Guys, I've been paralyzed for a long time and figure out ways how to deal with it. It's just my thing. It's just my issue. It's, it's my struggle. It's my cross to bear. Paralysis. Just my cross to bear. Guys, it's just the way it's always been. It's been in my family all the way it was. I know how to deal with it. It's not bothering me as much as it's bothering you. Hey, guys, don't worry about it. I made my peace with it. But he needs to be carried into the presence of Jesus. He needs to be carried into the presence of Jesus. We need to accept help from others. God gave us each other for this purpose. How many of you can say that you have four, not one, not two, might as well say not three, but four friends who love God, 
and love you, to carry you to him, who pray for you, who walk with you through things. So many, so, so many of us in church, we come to church, but we're still isolated. And that's not what God intended. The church is to provide the four corners to carry each other when we're the ones on the mat. We're to be carriers, and we're to allow ourselves to be carried. We can't keep secrets. We should have more than four. We should have more than four. But it, part of it comes with what we're looking for when we come. What are we looking for from God? Are we looking for him to fix the situation? Are we looking for error? Are we looking for proof of what we've known all along? Are we looking for him? Are we looking to fulfill the church as he's called us to be in the Bible? Are we looking for relationship? Are we looking for him to be king of kings and lord of lords? Are we looking for him to reveal himself? Are we looking for him and are we willing to, to follow as long as it takes, doing whatever it takes to be in the presence of Jesus? As a global church, as the American church, as this church, and as individuals, is that where we are? Where we will do whatever it takes to be in the presence of Jesus. Will we do whatever it takes to bring people into the presence of Jesus? Will we do, because a lot of times, the, the thing that we need to do when we say whatever it takes is reveal our sin. Reveal our hurts. Reveal our guilt and reveal our shame so that our sickness can be seen so that others can help carry us through. And like, well, I mean, how do we, how do we carry people we pray. There's power in prayer, and there's more power. It says in the Bible, when two or more are united, when we come together as a church and pray, it's why we do prayer, prayer and worship night. It's why we do the, the texting remind thing where we all are called to pray because we've been called to pray for each other. We have been called to pray. We carry each other through prayer. We walk each other. And I'm talking about serious prayer. I'm not saying like, Lord, and help that person through whatever. And so right now, what I want to do, and we've done it before, but I just don't feel like it's enough. I don't feel like it's enough to just say a prayer for, for people in a dire situation for a minute. As people in our body are struggling, as they're going through it, I don't want to be a church that calls later and says, how did that go? I want to be a church that's on our, on our knees, interceding, interceding for our brothers and sisters, anyone that we can be praying in the moment. So you can turn off these lights. So I, I'm going to continue to pray for Mel and Zach. I mean, they're, they're in a situation right now. And I just want to be a, a praying church. I want to pray together. I want to be a church who's on our knees for our brothers and sisters, carrying them and interceding for them and bringing the presence of Jesus where they're at and what they need right now. So I just want to be a church who does that. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.